This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today, our guest is Zane Roberts, who is the lead canine trainer from MSA Security. And MSA Security is the largest private provider of dogs who are trained to sniff bombs or bomb dog teams. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Zane Roberts to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Your dog digs a hole under your fence. And the next thing you know... Protect your pets with Dig Defense, the amazing new product that keeps your pets in the yard. Dig Defense is safe, fast, and easy. Each unit is made from 4-gauge galvanized American steel and can be used for repairing digouts, filling gaps, or to hold fences down so pets can't get under them. Dig Defense provides peace of mind that your pets are contained humanely and safely. Visit digdefense.com today. D-I-G-D-E-F-E-N-C-E.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Today we're visiting with Zane Roberts from MSA Security. Hello, Zane, and welcome to the show. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, just great. Glad to be on the show. Yeah, well, we're so excited because, you know, bomb-sniffing dogs are not something that we talk about every day. So we're really excited to have you on the show to really educate us about bomb dogs. So can you tell us, how did you get started working with these dogs? In uh, about, uh, let me see, January 1st of 2011, I retired from uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Farms, and Explosives. Um, I was a special agent for 25 years. The last eight years of my career with ATF, I was an uh, explosive detection canine handler and a certified explosive specialist with ATF. And uh, upon my retirement, I had the opportunity to train explosive detection canines full-time for MSA security. I love the work, and uh, I couldn't wait to take advantage of the opportunity to retire and and do this full-time. Wow. Yeah. Well, what a great way to go into retirement to get to spend time with dogs. That's my idea of an ideal retirement. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us about, I mean, how do you work with these dogs? How do you identify a dog that you think will be good for this kind of, of job? Well, because I was trained by ATF, I follow the same methodology and the, tra- the same training techniques that ATF uses. You know, there are many ways to build a mousetrap. And, you know, certain people use certain types of dogs and certain types of training methodologies. Here at MSA, we follow the same training methodology that ATF uses. It's a methodology that's been on the forefront of explosive detection work for for 25 years. We use about, I would say, about 85% of our dogs are Labrador Retrievers, and the other 15% are German Shepherds. 
Um, for the Labrador Retrievers, we use um, a food reward method and classical conditioning, and the Shepherds are done with um, play reward. The, Interesting. Um, we use four or five different sources uh, for our dogs. The majority of our dogs that we use here, the Labrador Retrievers, are, are labs that did not make it as guide dogs. I think the statistics are something along the lines of probably three out of every ten dogs that are bred to be seeing eye dogs make it as a full-time guide dog. Yeah, it's a really low percentage, yeah. Yeah, and so the other, there's nothing wrong with the other 70%. The guide dog people breed tremendously intelligent and hardworking dogs. It's just that they have a certain, like a personality trait that you know, makes them, maybe they're a little bit too, have a little bit, their drive's a little bit too high, or they're uh, obsessed with toys, or odor, or <laughs> things yep. like that. Yep, they're I know a dog they tried for me, it was really sensitive to elevators, and so it got yanked out of the program and didn't make it, because it didn't like the, the mirrors in the elevators. So it, you're right, it's a million things that it could be why a dog wouldn't make it. And many of those reasons why they don't make it, make them perfect for detection work. And so uh, we go to uh, Guiding Eyes for the Blind uh, in New York, Seeing Eye for the Blind in New Jersey, Guide Dog Foundation on Long Island, the Fidelco Guide Dog Services here in Connecticut, and we also use uh, dogs from Puppies Behind Bars. And, you know, we evaluate these dogs for their food drive, for their, you know, overall work ethic, and um, they're really, really terrific dogs. We start with those. That's awesome. I didn't realize that that's where you got your dogs. Do you pay for them or do they donate them? Do you guys adopt them? How does that work? Oh, we buy them. We pay for them. And I mean, it's a, it's a great way for high quality working dogs to basically, you know, switch careers. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time that it's, um, it's kind of like if you were to try to breed the best tennis player in the world by having the top male and the top female tennis player have babies, the chances are likely if they had five kids that one might be a tennis player. The other ones <laughs> might like swimming, baseball, hockey, or they might not like sports at all. You know, so these are really high-quality dogs, and they just need to find, you know, their calling in life. And many of them are much more suited to detection work than guide work. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know. I hear about dogs changing careers all the time, and this is a perfect example of that. And and like you said, I mean, each dog is different and what they like and what motivates them. So that's really awesome that, that you can work with these programs and support them as well, because I know how much they put into raising each of these dogs and caring for them and getting them ready for a professional life. So it seems like a, a perfect relationship. So when you get those dogs, because their dogs are pretty probably at least a year or older because they've been through the basic before they decide that they're not going to be suited to be a guide dog. So how long does it take once you get the dog to actually train them in explosive detection? It takes approximately uh, three to four months to fully train an explosive detection canine. We follow a basic six to eight week imprintation a program. It's imprintation means that's the time where we train the dog on um, what odors we wanted to find, you know, what explosives we wanted to find, what response we want them to have when they do find it, and all the different skills that they're going to have to do to find those odors operationally, like you know how to find it in a piece of luggage, how to find it in a box, 
how to find it in a warehouse or how to find it on a vehicle or in a tractor trailer. You know, we go through all those motions. It's not enough just to teach the dog to find what odor you want, but you have to help him uh, navigate through the different skills you want him to do. So do you teach him any other skills or is it just strictly bomb detection? Most of them come with, you know, the basic skills that they learned in guide dog service. You know, so we just worry about their ability to detect explosives. Mm-hmm. And where do you place these dogs? I know we are in a post-9-11 world. I mean, I always think of these dogs as in airports or, or at, you know, some kind of checkpoint coming into the country or something like that. But I am guessing that you're placing them in all kinds of locations now. Oh, we're, they're everywhere. They're in any kind of business that is looking to, you know, harden their exterior or make it more difficult for them to be a target for terrorism. We do a lot of uh, federal buildings. Uh, we do a lot of financial institutions, a lot of sporting event venues. We have, you know, public transportation venues. About 80% of our dogs, you know, work in the New York area. And then we have dogs all across the United States, from Boston to Dallas to Salt Lake to Charlotte. They're all over the United States. Yeah, wow. And so do you train the handlers that will be working with the dogs as well? Yes, we do. After we determine that the dog is, uh, you know, fully trained and ready to go to a handler, the handlers come here to the MSA canine training facility uh, in Connecticut for about three weeks. And uh, during that time, we match them up with a dog and run them through a series of exercises, teach them what they need to do, what they need to know to handle the dog properly, you know, vet care and maintenance of the dog, things like that. And then they're, um, they're assigned to a location and then they get additional field training when they get there. Ah, well, I was wondering about that, about follow-up services that you might provide to people once they get their dog and are out in the field. Yes, all of our dogs basically get, because they're food reward dogs, the handler is required to train that dog every single day. People don't really understand the food reward program. They don't work for biscuits or treats or anything like that. All the food that that dog would normally consume during a day, during the day is placed into a pouch that, you, that the handler carries on their person. And every throughout the day, every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, the handler has to put training aids out for that dog to search for and locate. And upon location of the aid, they get some food. It's not a food-deprived program where, you know, we starve the dogs or anything like that. They get the same amount of food that any other dog would get. You know, they get the same amount of food they would get if they were bullfed. It's just that they have to work for it. And if you know Labrador Retrievers, they absolutely love the game of hide-and-seek, and they love food. So they absolutely love to do this, you know, all the time. So in addition to the handler training the dog every single day, we have field supervisors who meet the handlers and their dogs at the locations they work and give them extra training. They also come back to the MSA Canine Training Center every few months for in-service training, and then once a year they're given a certification. Ah, so let me make sure I understand this. So what you're saying is is that that's really cool that they get their entire meal once they detect something. So you have to make sure that they have a successful detection every day so that they can get fed, and, and they get fed once a day is what I think I heard. Oh, no, they get fed several times. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay, that's dog, past one <laughs> drink. So I was like, wow, <gasps> they yeah, have to wait no, no. a whole big buffet for one one time? <laughs> no, um, you know, and it's completely understandable that you wouldn't understand it because most working dogs are play reward dogs. That's know? right, yeah. But, yeah. Um, the food reward dog, uh, you can just imagine if you practiced something 
10, 15, 20 times a day, every single day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you would become very, very good at it. And that's one of the benefits of the food reward methodology. Yeah. Uh, the Labrador, who's very food driven, who loves to play hide and seek, you know, mm-hmm. learns very early. When he, the minute a dog enters training here, that dog does not fed out of a bowl or given a treat of any kind during its working life. So that's why myself and my, the other members of the training staff here are here training these dogs 365 days a year. On Christmas morning, Easter morning, Thanksgiving day, we're here training the dogs mm-hmm. because they are not fed unless they search for and successfully locate explosives. And so when the handlers are working during their shift during the day, they put out training aids throughout the day. And on their day off, they also put, you know, training aids out, uh, you know, at least, uh, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the dog to practice and um, get fed. Wow. Well, that's what I was trying to understand. That is really cool because I'm used to having to dole out treats all the time, you know, for different things that Whistle does for me. And so that's really interesting, though, that it's like the entire meal, though, of breakfast, lunch and dinner. Once they do this detection, I was wondering about that ad in the field when they're actually on location working in a bank or working, you know, on the battlefield about how the handler does that and feeds them. What about water? How are they given water to drink? Well, they can have as much water as they want, and they have, un, you know, unlimited access to it. You know, whenever they need it, they can have, you know, all the cool, clean water they need. Okay, um, and, but and it's, it's the food it's, that's the main thing. Yes, absolutely. You know, the Labrador learns that, you know, I work for my food. I, I search yes. for my food. And, you know, with the classical conditioning, that's the methodology we we use. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of Ivan Pavlov's famous experiment. Oh, yes. Years ago. Oh, yes. So mm-hmm. Instead of ringing the bell like he did... We just present the odor of explosives to the dog, and then we pair it with food immediately in a very short period of time. Oh, that clicks really quickly, I'm sure, yes. Yeah, the dog learns the odor of explosives equals food. And, and, you know, so that Pavlovian response is, you know, built into the dog. And And that obsession, yeah, that obsession for food, it becomes equal, I'm sure, yeah. Exactly. And the dog can no longer control. It's not like the dog is thinking about working. Mm-hmm. The dog cannot. That Pavlovian response is not something the dog can control, you know. So when the <laughs> dog is working, it cannot help but react to the presence of the odor of explosives, which makes a very effective explosive detection canine. Yeah. Well, we are going to take just a quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors. And we're going to come back and continue talking with Zane about this fascinating work that he is doing. So come right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. 
And we're visiting today with Zane Roberts from MSA Security, and he is educating us about bomb-sniffing dogs, which is just amazing. And before the break, we were talking about how he uses and the other trainers use food to actually train their dogs so that they understand the importance and they get the drive in order to identify bombs. So, I mean, tell us more about that. I mean, what if a dog, you know, as you're working with them, Zane, what if a dog finds a live bomb? How do you train them to deal with that situation? Well, uh, you know, I guess fortunately, uh, Marcy, you know, it it is still the United States of America, one of the safest places, uh, you know, on the planet. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God, uh, you know, we don't find too many live bombs. But there are many actual explosives that are part of the dog's everyday search life. What I mean by that is, for instance, if we're searching a venue that's going to have a fireworks display, you know, fireworks contain explosive materials that our dogs detect. So oftentimes our dogs will actually detect bomb-making materials, but they're not actually a bomb. And, uh, you know, so the, the handlers do occasionally come across, you know, what we call a, a good alert. Uh, the dog indicates on something, but it doesn't turn out to be a bomb, but it turns out to be, you know, something that they should alert to. An ATF chemist once taught me a long time ago that, you know, there's probably over 19,000 different explosive compounds that a bomb dog needs to, needs to find. And there's not 19,000 different individual, you know, explosives. There may be hundreds of different types of, for instance, smokeless powders or dozens of different types of plastic explosives, things like that. But all of those 19,000 compounds fall into, you know, one of five chemical families. So at MSA, we train our dogs on several odors from each of those chemical families, and we know which odors to train on to make sure our dogs can get all 19,000 of those compounds because it's very important that, you know, you stay one step ahead of the bad guy. And, you know, so we are constantly monitoring what's going on overseas when they, a lot of places, um, you know, they come up with new and innovative ways to make a bomb or different bomb materials. You know, we'll test our dogs on it. And uh, so far, you know, none of our dogs at MSA have actually found a, a real explosive that was designed to hurt someone. And that's a good thing. But uh, we do come across, every once in a while, we come across some of those compounds that are legitimately being transported, like maybe firearms evidence or ammunition being sent to a location, things like that. And what's like a schedule for a day and and one of these, a work day for one of these dogs? Can they work for so many hours and then they have to be off for a break or or how does that work? What's their work day look like? Uh, Most of our dogs work an eight or a 12 hour shift. And there's a big difference. I'm sure you know this, you know, having a, a service dog and, you know, been around working dogs before. There's a difference between a dog being with a handler for 12 hours and actually searching for 12 hours. It's incredibly difficult work. These detection dogs are athletes and, you know, they need to have that search time, the ability to, you know, search for what they're looking for. That needs to be built up, you know, in a dog the same way a runner would work on his long-distance running, for instance. You know, no one can just wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm thinking the marathon's a good idea. It's yeah. <laughs> for 26 miles. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a process. And these dogs are the same way. When we get them initially, you know, they don't work very far before they find an aid, you know. But during the, the three months or so that they're here, the distance between a training aid on, on a car, it may go from one aid on two or three cars 
to three or four aides on 80 or 90 cars. And that's something that needs to be built up over time. And so, you know, the average hand, you know, for the to answer your question, the average day for our handlers, you know, they may be working for 12 hours, but the dog will be searching and, you know, using its nose, you know, searching packages or checking the truck or checking a vehicle on and off throughout those days. But they get plenty of rest. Uh, they get plenty of, you know, access to food and water and um, good chance to, to rest in between sessions in which they're needed. Yeah, I was wondering about that, and I couldn't agree with you more that they're just incredible athletes. That's how I always describe Whistle, as he is an Olympic athlete, you know, that's just so conditioned and, and so so at the top of their game. You know, it's it's really it's really amazing. But, you know, I was thinking about that and, and the different environmental aspects of the job for these dogs, because they're going into so many different environments, and some of them very harsh if they're in the battlefield. Do you do anything to prepare the dogs for the different types of environments that they're going to be working in? You know, it's hard. It really is hard to... The training center is located in a rural town in Connecticut. It's really, really difficult for us to recreate Manhattan. And, uh, you know, a lot of these dogs have never been into the city like that, but most of the guide dogs have been, you know, well socialized and they've been taken onto trains and they've been given, you know, trips in cars and they've been exposed to city traffic and things like that. As far as, you know, the dogs that are, we don't really have too many dogs that have had any issues with environmental problems. Uh, if we do, it's usually something that the, the handler can, can train their dog and have the dog adjust to you know, rather quickly. Labradors are pretty uh, flexible in that area. What's the average work life for one of these dogs? Well, we get the dogs sometime, someplace between one and two years old, and we like them to work till they're around eight. At eight years old, we begin, we basically look to retire them. And most handlers do not want to give up their dog that they've worked with for, you know, six or seven years. So I've met a lot of our handlers whose dog was, you know, seven last year and this year it's six. So, <laughs> uh huh. Just they don't like that. ever yeah. want to give up their dog. And, you know, I, I certainly mean, can relate to that. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, all dogs should have a chance to just, uh, you know, retire and relax. And, you know, but they, some of them, they've been going to work with their handler for, uh, you know, so many years that, uh, you know, they just want to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what happens? Does the handler have the option of keeping the dog or does the agency own the dog? How does that work, Zane? Well, the dog belongs to MSA. But in every example that I can think of, you know, when the dog reaches eight years old, you know, the handler retires the dog and it becomes the handler's pet. And then the handler will come here and get a a replacement dog to go to work with. And that dog just becomes his house pet. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I know. That's what my husband always looks forward to the day when my dogs get to retire because then it becomes his dog. So he loves that day. I am heartbroken, but he honestly quietly is happy because that means that that he gets to have my dog as his pet. So I was wondering about that. So that's really interesting. So you guys are a private company and people purchase the dogs or agencies purchase the dogs from you, but you still retain ownership? Well, people don't purchase our dogs from us. What We're a full-service security company. We provide an array of services, and explosive detection canines are just one aspect of what we do at MSA. And all of our dogs that we train here at our facility work for MSA employees. And, for instance, a client will hire us to you know, search all the packages or, you know, search their grounds or, you know, check every vehicle coming in and out of their facility. They'll hire our security company. We will train a dog, 
give it to our handler. All of our handlers are either you know retired law enforcement or ex-military handlers or handlers, ex-military people or ex-police officers who handle our dogs. And so we don't sell dogs really to other places. Ah. They, we, people hire our company to do security work and we, we give them to our employees to work. Gotcha. So they're just another benefit of the services that MSA provides. Okay, I got you now. Wow, that's awesome. Well, you know, because I have people ask me all the time, how can they get a career in training working dogs? And so you said that most of your trainers are retired. What would you recommend to someone if they want to get into this as, and have it as a career as a training a law enforcement type working dog? Uh, you know, that's a good question. So I became involved in, in canines and explosives, you know, post 9-11. Many of uh, the resources from ATF were readjusted to, to the war on terror as, a, you know, from the war on violent crime. And so ever since I got into this field, almost everybody has been, been taught. All the trainers were either military trainers, law enforcement trainers. You know, there's no place you can, like, go to school and I want to major in working dogs and learn how to be a dog trainer. It's basically like an on-the-job study. Yeah, I know. I think that's why people are so curious about it because we're hearing more about it and we're seeing these dogs out in public. But it is like this well-kept secret of how (laughs) how you break into that so that you could really work with them. But it does seem like law enforcement is the best route to work with state police or whatever um, local law enforcement agencies to really get in and get that opportunity. But even that's hard from what I hear, that you really have to compete in order to get those opportunities. Like in ATF, you don't hire on to be an ATF canine handler. First, you have to be a special agent. And I was probably uh, with a, doing work for ATF for uh, 17 years before, uh, before I got a dog. And, um, you know, it is something that doesn't, it's hard to just be a 21-year-old interested in dogs and want to work dogs your whole life. Training dogs, to me, is it's a passion. It's something I would, I just absolutely love to do. I have probably, the day I retired, I've been here at the Canine Training Center. I think I've been home 14 days. Other than that, I'm here seven days a week, 365 days a year. I absolutely love what I do. And um, I just never grow tired of, of watching a, a young Labrador retriever, you know, go from being bullfed to turning into a tremendous detection canine. Yeah, wow. Well, I can only imagine because I've I've had a service dog for over 20 years and every day I'm still amazed at that commitment, the relationship, you know, all the things that you've talked about that are somewhat different but yet similar. It's just amazing when you're with a dog 24 hours a day and you really get to experience them and their capabilities. It's just phenomenal. And it sounds like these dogs are just another type of amazing working dog. Well, Marcy, I don't know who coined the phrase, but he was absolutely right when he said, you know, somebody whoever said whoever said it first, their man's best friend. Yeah. I could not agree more. Boy, is that, that is so true. And we are so lucky for having that friendship in our lives. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal. There's just no other way to describe it. Well, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us today, Zane, and, and giving us a little glimpse into these amazing canines. And let me just ask you one last thing, and that is, if our listeners want to get more information about MSA and the services you provide, or, or just to reach you with a question, what's the best way to do that? 
Oh, I think the best way to learn about MSA security would be to, uh, via the internet. We have a very extensive website. Uh, it's uh, msasecurity.net, and it goes uh, into uh, exhaustive detail of all the different services that we offer, including explosive detection canines. Okay, awesome. Well, we hope you'll come back and continue talking with us about the work that you're doing and the places where your dogs are going and all their adventures that they're having. And it is unfortunate that we are in a a world now post 9-11, but I'm so glad that there are programs out there like yours and dogs out there to work beside you and to make us all safer. So thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you very much and you're welcome. It was my pleasure. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We just love to hear from you. So please keep those emails coming, or you can email me and Whistle at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can also follow us on Working Like Dogs on Facebook and Twitter, and read our blog at WorkingLikeDogs.com. So thanks for being with us, and we look forward to being with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pet. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.